our news media is so broken that it has the ability to destroy lives. It has the ability to destroy the economy. It has the ability to destroy personal reputations. And it, although it seems more like a new phenomenon right now, with everything going on with the coronavirus and the economic destruction of our states and uh, the lockdowns and people losing their businesses, children's mental health going awry because of decisions made by bureaucrats and all based off of items that were projected in the news media through panic porn or what have you, it, it's, it has devastating implications whether or not they're acting on good faith or not. And one interesting situation that really illuminates this fact is what happened with Penn State, Joe Paterno, and Jerry Sandusky. And joining the program, I have John Ziegler, the one inquisitive journalist who took the moment to evaluate the facts and come to an unconventional conclusion that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. John Ziegler's on the program. It's the Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade was just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. Joining the program right now is senior columnist from Mediaite, uh, documentary filmmaker, author, John Ziegler. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me. All right, so I want to set the table here because you've got a new podcast out, and I've actually been working my way through it. It's really incredible. Based on what happened with Penn State, uh, Coach Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno, Mike McQuery, um, it's called With the Benefit of Hindsight. And you actually, one of the reason why you're one of my favorite uh, follows on on Twitter is because you were a man on an island with this story. And I remember hearing you years ago on Glenn Beck uh, talking about it. Which the interesting thing for me was, I'm the type of person who, you know, if somebody's accused of something, I want the due process. I want you know, the court of public opinion. I try to shy away from that. But in this case, everyone seemed to just take it on face value and say it's open and shut. And you actually took the time to investigate it and found a ton of things. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know, the podcast? Well, the podcast is an extraordinary endeavor. And as you said, it's called With the Benefit of Hindsight. And for those that don't remember or aren't familiar, it is an extraordinarily extensive documentary review of the entire so-called Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky scandal which broke 10 years ago and which involved uh, allegations of child sex abuse against Jerry Sandusky who at the time was a longtime former assistant football coach at Penn State and somehow Penn State and Joe Paterno in a, an incredibly short amount of time got uh, accused of, of a cover-up for Jerry Sandusky and uh, this story, when it broke nationally in November of 2011, although it had broken locally uh, several months before that, never made any sense to me. Um, I have no connection to Penn State, but I have, I've been a high school football coach. I've, been, I've co covered college and pro football uh, for television and radio. I've written a book about a high school football team in Ohio. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was not a Penn State fan. 
but I certainly respected Joe Paterno. And the whole story at the time involving Penn State never made any damn sense to me. And I started investigating it from that perspective. And the more I got into it, and the deeper and deeper I got into it, I realized that the only way that this story makes any sense at all, and the only way, the only narrative that is remotely consistent with all the known facts, is that believe it or not, as shocking as it sounds to people who have not followed this closely, Jerry Sandusky is actually innocent. And that's why there was no cover up, because there was nothing to cover up. Uh, now, how this happened is an extraordinary story. Um, however, when you listen to the podcast, what you find is that uh, my version of events, which has now been adopted by lots and lots of very high-profile people very close to this case, and has been documented in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, as well as Mark Pendergrass's book, The Most Hated Man in America, is that my version of events is far more logical <laughs> far more sensical and far more based in, in evidence than the fairy tale that the news media adopted in two days back in November of 2011. And the most remarkable part of the whole thing is it's not even close. And this is not some sort of crazy conspiracy theory. I'm, I'm an ardent anti-conspiracy theorist. I hate conspiracy theories with a great passion because I don't think human beings are capable of pulling them off. Now, in this particular perfect storm of events, there may have been a couple of two-person, quote-unquote, conspiracies, but there was nothing wider than that. This was a situation where a unique set of circumstances created a perfect storm of self-interest, where everyone just pursued what was in their own self-interest in a way that created a massive injustice, which is still ongoing today. Not only is Jerry Sandusky in prison for crimes that I'm positive he did not commit, uh, but the former president of Penn State, Graham Spanier, just got put into jail for two months <laughs> in a situation that's completely absurd, even if Jerry Sandusky was guilty, right. which I'm, I'm now positive uh, he is not. Um, and yet the news media refuses to even contemplate that they blew this because they put way too many chips down. Uh, and they would be humiliated. Uh, it would be effectively the same thing as if, uh, you know, COVID didn't actually happen. <laughs> right, uh, right. They, 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 there's, there's no way they're ever going to uh, acknowledge that uh, in any way, shape, or form. They have no self-interest in doing so. Uh, but the reaction to the podcast has been quite extraordinary. I mean, we've had, you know, the listenership is great. We've had, you know, people are, in, it's an incredibly long podcast. I mean, it's probably... <laughs> It's probably the longest podcast of its of its kind in in existence, um, and hopefully, people you know people are are hooked one because of the remarkable story and the the journalism involved, but also it's it's a pretty entertaining listen because I have a co-host by the name of Liz Habib, who's a longtime television sportscaster for the Fox affiliate here in Los Angeles, whom I've known for 30 years because we actually co-anchored the news together in Ohio for an NBC affiliate uh, in, in Steubenville, Ohio, Wheeling, West Virginia, 30 years ago. Uh, and we both live in, in the Los Angeles area now. But, uh, and, and we, you know, she, she performs an incredibly important role in this, kind of the role of the listener uh, who, you know, maybe hasn't followed this obviously nearly as much as I have over the last nine or 10 years. And uh, and we get into some pretty uh, interesting conversations and a few dust ups, but um, I think that really helps people, um, you know, be able to come acclimated to to the story and then 
kind of take the journey with Liz, who took a remarkable journey from 100% believing all of this story to now being in a very, very different position um, after having uh, co-hosted this podcast with the benefit of hindsight. So, so that's the the general uh, situation with regard to the podcast. Um, it's you know we've we've posted uh, almost 20 hours of raw interviews at our website, which is framingpaterno.com. That's www.framingpaterno.com. We have interviews with some of the key people in the case, including one of the, min- the Penn State administrators who has never done an interview before. Oh wow! Four hours of four hours of interviews with him, Gary Schultz. Uh, we have interviews with Franco Harris, uh, Pittsburgh Steeler, Penn State legend. Oh, I remember him. Uh, uh, Bob Costas uh, did an interview with us. Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, the world's most uh, renowned memory expert, who testified on Sandusky's behalf. Uh, we have interviews with uh, several members of the Penn State Board of Trustees who now believe Jerry Sandusky is innocent, the former founder of the Second Mile Charity, Bruce Heim, who now believes that uh, Jerry Sandusky is innocent, uh, a member of the media who covered the trial, uh, is now willing to admit that uh, Jerry Sandusky is is innocent. We have a purposely fake accuser named A.J. Dillon, who did a three-year-plus sting operation on the primary lawyer and the therapist in the case and recorded almost all of it. Uh, That's maybe our most mind-blowing episode of the podcast called Secret Agent Man, Uh, and that entire interview is available at FramingPaterno.com. Uh, we put it all out there, all for free, in an extraordinary act of transparency. We're well aware that the news media is not going to give us any traction or coverage because uh, they have no self-interest in doing so. But almost anybody who has listened to this has been both enthralled and eventually convinced uh, that I am not just right, but that it's not even close. Well, you know, that was the interesting thing about you know the entire podcast, Um I remember back when you, like I said, you went on Glenn Beck and you kind of gave the condensed story and I was thoroughly convinced like Liz, where I, this guy you know, must be guilty, what have you. And by the end of your uh, interview, you had me questioning everything. <laughs> and so I think being able to hear this in a, in a bigger context with more, uh, you know, uh, with, like you said, with interviews and uh, the back and forth with Liz, I think it really kind of will shine a light on this entire injustice. I mean, the news media has already been awful for years and going back, you know, I think it's, I think it's probably been awful longer than we've known back when it was the three networks and, and, and a PBS station because we didn't have the competition that we do now, but it's just even worse these days. So to actually have a contrarian view and look into something because you have questions about it is a, it's a lost art that you actually performed here. Well, I appreciate that, and I do believe that the journalism that uh, we have done on this podcast is extraordinary and in a rational world would be celebrated, but we don't live in that world anymore, right. and journalism is dead. Right. And this story this story um, is probably the, the first one that confirmed it with 100% certitude in my mind, but I was in a pretty unique position – going into this scandal where I was ahead of the curve on where the media was. Right. Uh, um, largely because I had studied the media and been in the media for decades beforehand, but I'd also I'd done two documentary films prior to this involving stories where the media clearly blew it. 
and um, one was about the 2008 presidential election, and another was about a, mov- a movie that had been censored, that it was in a very high-profile situation involving the Clintons. Oh, wow. And so, and so, I, um, so I understood better than almost anybody how the news media could blow this, uh, and, and that this case had special circumstances that made the media particularly vulnerable to blowing this. Obviously, the subject matter of child sex abuse is one that makes people's head explode, especially you know, in, in these particular circumstances involving an older man. And, and it was actually teenage boys or mostly teenage boys, but it was perceived as being boys even younger than that. Right. And so you know that, that makes people's heads explode. I understand that. I get it. Um, but there was also, you know, we live in a world now where timing, largely because of the change in the business model of the news media, timing is everything. You know, we used to, I don't know, you know, I'm not one of these people that believes that the past was perfect or even great. Uh, but, you know, when I, I'm, I'm 54 now, when I was younger, we, we at least waited to find out, you know, what the facts were right. before we went, before we went uh, bananas. I mean, I always use the example of the of the Rodney King situation. I mean, here, here we had a video, a horrendous video of a, of, a, of a black man being beat up by cops, and people were outraged when the video came. But there weren't riots until there was an actual trial and a verdict. Right. I and, remember that I, event because uh, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, they. I remember the video aspect, and the video, they didn't go back and show the PCP part and the freak out and the throwing of cops like they're well, in a bags I, of not, potatoes. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to make any analogies to the actual Rodney King case, because I think that there's room for disagreement on what actually happened here. I'm just right. talking about the public media reaction to show that things have changed. I mean, today we have riots before we even know all the facts. Right. And, and, and forget about waiting for a trial. Well, effectively, in the Jerry Sandusky case, we had the pitchforks out before we had any knowledge of anything. Right. Any knowledge of anything. I mean, you know, I remember Penn State, uh, you know, having a um, uh, a uh, a candlelight vigil the week the story broke, replacing their pep rally for their foot- home football game, the last home game of the year that year. They replaced the pep rally with a a 10,000 person candlelight vigil wow. for, for, for victims that they didn't even know their names. They didn't know anything about them. Wow. All they had, it was just a grand jury presentment. This wasn't a, a trial verdict. This was just a grand jury presentment, which is the prosecution just throwing everything they can up against the wall, hoping something's going to stick. And Penn State completely, uh, you know, virtue signaled and caved and and embraced this whole narrative, and then and then the next day before the football game began, there was a there was actually a prayer at midfield with both teams carried live on national television, <laughs> uh, 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 praying for these victims. I mean, th- th- this is before we know anything. Before right. we know anything. Right. And so, um, and it took me a very very long time to to figure out what really happened here because I was as convinced as most people were that, okay, well, at least Sandusky has to be guilty. This can't all be wrong. And, um, and, you know, it was probably two or three years into this before I was a hundred percent convinced. Uh, 
uh, that that Jerry was innocent and finally went on the Today Show for a second time to do an interview with Matt Lauer with Dottie Sandusky. Uh, you know, Dottie did the interview and I was there with her to do the interview. And uh, and I came out publicly on the Today Show and said that Jerry is innocent. Matt Lauer, uh, you know, very ironically and right. and politely declared my career to be dead, which is really bizarre since Matt and I are now quite friendly. Uh, largely because of his own situation, um, which I've reported on. So, right, I remember hearing um, about that. So, so anyway, um, you know, th- there's never going to be a case like this. I don't think. I hope not ever again. But the media aspect of this is really what has driven me for ten years because that's my great passion. And the media blew this so unbelievably badly because. They, for a lot of reasons, but the main reason was they got completely distracted by the Joe Paterno aspect of the story. See, when the story broke, everyone should have been focused on, oh, okay, what are the allegations against Jerry Sandusky? Are they credible? Do they make sense? What's the evidence? Uh, you know, what's the counterargument? That should have been the reaction. But because of the timing aspect and because everything was so condensed in that insane week, uh, that it ended in, the, in Joe, or culminated in Joe Paterno's firing on November 9th of 2011 because they had that last home game scheduled on that, on that Saturday. Because of the timing aspect, everyone says, oh, okay, well, Sandusky's clearly guilty. What did Paterno know and what did he do or what he should have done and what, what was Penn State covering this up? And that becomes everyone's focus. And then bizarrely, here's what you know. I, I've often used Ben Franklin's famous phrase, you know, we shall all hang together or surely we'll hang separately when it comes to the Revolutionary War. Well, this is where the separation uh, between all the factions here is devastating to the accused because uh, in a rational world, uh, Paterno, Sandusky, and the administrators would all be on the same side defending themselves. But because of this media dynamic, the paternal forces, which are by far the most dominant forces within the Penn State community, because everyone there is a Joe Paterno fan, they then see their only path to uh, vindication being throwing Jerry Sandusky under the bus as far and as fast as possible to prove how against child molestation they are. But in doing that, <laughs> it actually backfires enormously because then everyone accepts that Jerry must be guilty. And if Jerry's guilty and he's this great monster, then they had to have known. And then no one's believing that there wasn't a cover up. Right. So it's this bizarre set of circumstances. Then it all starts because no one bothered to check the math on the allegations against Jerry Sandusky. Eventually, I checked the math. Other people then checked my math, and guess what? The original math was not just wrong. It was catastrophically wrong, and it's not close. Wow. And, and it's very similar to the COVID math that we're dealing with now. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I've had a lot of people come to me proactively and say, John, you know, I, I never fully understood you know, what your theory or how your theory of the Penn State situation could be true until COVID. Right. And and for, uh, because even though they sound remarkably different, they're actually incredibly similar. 
And to be clear, COVID is real. Right. It's a real. It's a real thing. People have died because of it. We don't know exactly how many people have died of it, but it's a large number of people have died of it, mostly senior citizens, average age around 79. But the similarity is that in a panic, the media gets invested in a narrative, and the expert class gets in deeply invested in a narrative. And once that happens and once decisions that are made, ironically – this sounds so counterintuitive, but I, I learned this in the Penn State case. You would think instinctively that when people make bad decisions and it causes great damage, that it would actually increase the need to fix it right. or, to at least, to, or at least take some semblance of responsibility and for there to be some semblance of accountability. In the real world, it actually works in the opposite direction. Because the more damage that is caused, the less incentive anyone has to, to acknowledge that it was their screw-up that caused it. And so, therefore, they will do everything they possibly can to rationalize that they weren't wrong. It just <laughs> didn't turn out well. Right. And, uh, and, and, and we've seen that with COVID. And, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer uh, that uh, that masks, at least mask mandates, do absolutely nothing right. against a virus and specifically against COVID. The, the data is overwhelming. And yet, if you say that to the news media, it's like saying Jerry Sandusky is innocent. Right. Uh, and, it's, and, it, and by the way, their reaction to that is for very similar reasons. Because if masks don't work, they just looked like idiots for the last 14 months right because and, and they caused a lot of damage especially among kids being forced to wear masks and so so no no one in the news media has any incentive to admit oops guess what masks don't actually work we got duped in all this and we look like idiots uh and and, and it's a very similar dynamic to to the sandusky situation and um and it's exceedingly frustrating because you know, there are other situations where there wasn't quite as much damage and they didn't put as many chips on the table where they are willing to correct it. I mean, for instance, Duke lacrosse that right. was corrected, right. um, but the legal system required them to correct it. The legal system is far less capable of doing that in this case for, for very understandable – well, not, not, not justifiable, but understandable uh, reasons. And, I mean, there are other situations where – that are similar to this. I, I have often said that the Penn State Sandusky case is basically Duke lacrosse meets Theranos uh, meets Jussie Smollett uh, <laughs> meet, meets Manti Teo. I don't know if you remember the Manti Teo thing, but um, if you, if you combine all those stories, uh, you know, um, Jussie Smollett, Manti Teo, Theranos and Duke lacrosse, you combine all those together that's Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky. Right. And that's one of the things that I've actually been uh, harping on quite a bit. Um, that's why the need for social media has been there for the truth, because a lot of times most of these narratives are starting to be destroyed by out, uh, crowdsourcing information to where somebody finally yeah, gets it put yeah. together. But, you know, yeah. it, it's a difficult situation. I, I, you know, well, I think that cuts both ways, though, actually. Right. Um, 
yes, at times it's good to you know to have the ability for real people to who don't have see the news media is fundamentally broken because their incentive structure is all wrong. Right. See, it used to be that in the news media there was an incentive to tell an unpopular truth, right? Right. N- now there is a huge disincentive to tell an unpopular truth, and there's a huge incentive to tell popular lies. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, at least popular within your own target demographic, and so I'm I'm someone who tells unpopular truths because I don't care. Right. Now, and, and now, if the part of the reason I don't care is because I'm not making any money out of this, uh, <laughs> so or at least not any significant money. But the the one of the many problems in the news media is that the the jobs, the gigs, are too cushy and too scarce, and no one wants to lose them. And so, any issue that is hot enough where you could lose the gig. No one will push back. And this is another example where COVID and Penn State are similar. They were both third rail stories. You can't question the COVID narrative in mainstream news media or you will lose your job. Right. And it's probably even more dramatic in this Penn State situation. I mean, I know I know numerous media members, including a very prominent television reporter in in this in the in the state college area who's covered this from day one, who knows Jerry is innocent and who, who is, is open that he's not allowed to do any reporting in that direction because his bosses simply won't let him. And he's an old white male. Uh, Gary Sinderson is his name. And so, you know, no, no old white male is going to take a chance on this being the last chapter of their life. Right. Uh, it's just not, it's not going to happen. Only someone as dumb as John Ziegler is going to do, is going to do this. <laughs> And um, and so um, you know the, the, this story exposed, as did COVID, all the frailties and vulnerabilities of the news media, and it is getting worse on a daily basis. I mean, it is, it is. I, I mean, I, it, I I don't know how it can get much worse because <laughs> we've pretty much hit rock bottom. Right. Where where even you know formerly reputable news outlets, they don't even pretend to be fair anymore oh it's unbelievable if they don't even pretend there used to be that you used to be able to at least guilt them into like having some semblance of fairness um but you can't even do that now and and i think it's only going to get worse because you know the the younger generation of of "Quote unquote journalists." I mean, journalism is dead, so I don't even want to use that word. But right. the younger gen, the younger generation, they don't even have a memory of of the way things were previously. So they they honestly think they honestly think that if they do a story and it gets a bunch of uh, retweets and likes, even if it's bullshit, it doesn't matter if it if if this if the story is popular. That's a great story, right? Um, I, mean, I mean, it's it's, it's as if News is is basically judged the same way of a movie, a, you know, a fictional movie is is judged. Was it popular or not? Did people like it? Right. Well, that's that's not what news is supposed to be, uh, and um, and so so therefore, in a case like you know, a situation where there's alleged child sex abuse, the accused has no chance. Right. Because because no one is going to take the risk in defending anybody because there's no 
there's no incentive to do so. Um, and, and, you know, again, because the incentive structure is completely upside down. Well, the other aspect that I think uh, is really telling, too, when you were talking about how the media has hit rock bottom and, uh, you know, obviously there's no trust anymore for the media, for, if there ever was. Um, but that's also happening with institutions. You know, you look at what's going on with the uh, CIA, NSA, uh, even down to the WHO and the CDC, um, the FBI, which you have a pretty interesting aspect uh, in the story of the whole Sandusky thing with uh, Louis Free from the FBI. Um, if you want to take a little trip down that road, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, Louis Free is a major figure in this case because he was hired by Penn State to create the quote-unquote free report. Mm -hmm. And this was an era, you know, 2012, before I think the FBI took a, quite a bit of hit, especially among conservatives. I think conservatives used to have great reverence for the FBI. Right. Um, but, um, but Louis Free's history is quite horrible. I mean, even before he left the FBI, I mean, he was – he was partially responsible for Waco, uh, he, yep. uh, Richard Jewell, the, the Atlanta Park bombing. I mean, that was Ruby that Ridge. Was free. Uh, yeah, Ruby Ridge. I mean, so there, there's all sorts of things that, that make you question Louis Free to begin with. But what he has done in his post-FBI career is he's basically, not just basically, he's clearly used the, the cachet from being the former FBI director as a as a business mechanism and what he has done is he said he'll basically he's almost very overt about this he you know will will trade the credibility of that that brand and that name in exchange for giving you a report uh of whatever conclusion you want and as long as he gets paid a lot of money wow. and he got paid a lot of money by by penn state to do this and the number one thing that people do not understand about the whole Penn State case is they don't understand why Penn State had an incentive to not defend itself and, in fact, had an incentive to plead guilty to things that didn't happen and that they weren't responsible for. That's probably the biggest problem that people have because it's, it's so counterintuitive unless you understand the dynamics here. The people making the decisions at Penn State had all just fired Joe Paterno and Graham Spanier, the president of the university, in a panic. Right. And, 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 and so, so they needed that decision to be correct and justified. The fact that they would end up costing the university millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars doesn't matter to them. It's not their money. Right. This is a state-run institution. This is not a private business. So it's all being paid for by taxpayers and insurance companies. The only thing that's happening to them is they're getting praised by the New York Times for how much self-flagellation they're doing right. uh, in, res in, in, in response to this, this bogus scandal. So it's 100% in their self-interest. For Penn State and Joe Paterno and Graham Spanier and the administrators and obviously Sandusky to be seen as guilty as hell. And that's what Louis Free gave them. And, you know, we do an entire episode of the podcast with the benefit of hindsight on the free report. And I, I frankly, I think it's one of our more devastating 
episodes where we go through his press conference and we just annihilate everything. He committed a fraud. In fact, the only thing I'll say nice about Louis Free is he he did a master class in media manipulation. Master <laughs> class. Uh, I mean, he is very good at it. But when you have enough knowledge to break it down, it's incredibly transparent. And the media just got played like a fiddle. Wow. And, you know, they, and in the mixed, mixed metaphor, they were basically cheerleaders there for Louis Free because much like the Penn State Board of Trustees, they had a perverse incentive to make sure that Louis Free substantiated their own rush to judgment in November of 2011. You see what I'm saying? Where right. so 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 because they like the Penn State board, they were all on the same side. You know, they were all rushing to judgment. They were all condemning all of this. So they needed to be right too. And so they were basically with their pom poms out, going, "Go Louis, go Louis, go Louis." <laughs> and I mean, and and the report wasn't even available before the press conference. I remember you some, saying something about that on that that episode because I listened to it. And yeah, then I, so there was so supposedly a computer glitch. So you hold a a short press conference, the only time you've ever answered questions from the media about this. Uh, and the media literally doesn't even have the report as if they would have read it or had a chance to read it beforehand. Right. I mean, it, th- this this was 1980 you know, or Willian 1984 kind of stuff here where, you know, you, 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 you manipulated the media and, and they were, it was easily done because they wanted that result. Right. But um, uh, uh, I have no respect for Louis Free. Uh, whatsoever, and he has has done this in so many other cases. Uh, I mean, it's almost become—it's literally become a joke. I mean, the media didn't even cover one of his most recent cases, where he got hired by the the former head of Papa John's Pizza to tell to put out a report paid for by the former head of Papa John's Pizza that says that the, that, that that Papa John really isn't a racist. Oh and, 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 and shockingly, shockingly, Louis Free came to that conclusion. I wonder how much you know Papa John had to pay him for that. <laughs> right. I, mean, it, I mean it's it's just it it's just it's it's become hilarious. Um and it's and it's happened on numerous occasions. And by the way, we have emails now that show that Louis Free felt as if he was auditioning in this Penn State case for the NCAA that he oh, effectively wow. want he wanted he wanted future gigs with the NCAA so that he could be their go-to person in similar investigations we have emails that show this and and so he was giving not just Penn State what they wanted he was giving the NCAA what they wanted and the NCAA didn't even I don't even think they read the damn thing they did and you know in record time they just all re- reacted and responded because the media was demanding it and that's when Joe Paterno's statue was taken down and right. his win record was temporarily taken uh, taken away although due to a lawsuit it was reinstated and so anyway uh, he, Louis free was just another cog in this this machine of, of the perfect storm. Well, I think one of the other aspects of the perfect storm that y'all discussed was the uh, the timing of the story, because I think if I remember this right, it was the deadest time of the year for any sports reporting. So it was perfectly primed. Well, yes, that was definitely another element of the perfect storm. Um, And that was that um, 
we have we're in November of 2011, and baseball has just ended. Uh, the NBA is on strike. College basketball hasn't started yet. Uh, no one cares about hockey yet. Uh, and football is in that lull before you know the end of the season rush. Right. And by the way, November back in that era was a, a very important uh, ratings sweep month. So you have this perfect storm where ESPN literally has nothing to talk about that week, nothing, um, and and all of a sudden this manna from heaven comes down <laughs> that, uh, that that Joe Paterno, who had just become the winningest head coach in the history of college football, uh, is, is is being accused of a cover up of child sex abuse, which goes against everything we've been told about Joe Paterno for 61 years, and let's be clear. Not only is this a great Greek tragedy story, this is a situation where they know Joe Paterno is on his last legs anyway. They don't need Joe Paterno in the future, right? There's nothing Joe Paterno is going to be able to do for them. He's 84 years old and, and, and feeble. So, so the, the, uh, they have no fear at all of going after him. Now, if the same thing happened to Nick Saban today, the media would be terrified of him. <laughs> right. they, 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 they would need a, a mountain of evidence to even. ESPN would never move against Nick Saban unless, you know, they had him dead to rights, and even then they might, you know, be hesitant about it. <laughs> but, um, but the, again, yes, the timing of this was definitely another part of the perfect storm. Well, good. I, I, it's been a really fascinating uh, listen. You know, I, I know some of them can be pretty long, but you know, I, it's 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 not something that you focus on the time because you're so into the story and getting into these yeah. different nooks and crannies of truth that uh, it just yeah. kind of goes right on by. We've had some people say, you know, wow, these are really long, but I've not had anyone say that they were bored. Right. Um, I mean, they're, they're not boring. Uh, I know Liz, you know, this is, you know, that Liz is a pretty good focus group because you know, she's a television uh, sports anchor and television people have pretty short attention spans. Right. Uh, not that Liz does, but in general, but, um, and, you know, her whole, her whole career is about, you know, discerning what's interesting and what's not. And, and there was never one moment during taping that she was bored. And every, every week, she, you know, we, when we taped these things, mostly we did most of this taping during the, the height of the pandemic and the, and the shutdown. Uh, and so, you know, she was really looking forward to these things every week to find <laughs> out what was going to happen next. Uh, um, and so I think most listeners have the same experience. Well, I appreciate you coming on the program and, uh, where can they listen to it? Of course, iTunes. Uh, is it on all the platforms? Yeah, it's on uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google. I mean, as far as I know, it's on every you get your podcasts. Uh, you know, you can go to my Twitter feed. Um, you can go to uh, which is Zygmunt at Zygmunt Freud. Uh, you, you know, you can go to uh, FramingPaterno dot com, and that's where our uh, the raw interviews can be uh, accessed as well as links to the iTunes and Spotify versions of the podcast. So it's pretty easy to find. And, um, you know, all we ever ask is that people listen to an op- with an open mind. And if you like it, uh, tell other people about it. Well, thanks for joining the program. Definitely check out With the Benefit of Hindsight on all of the podcast platforms available. Thanks, John, for being on the program. 
Thanks for having me. This is Adrian Slade. Such a great eye-opening conversation with John Ziegler about his podcast and showing you the brokenness of the media. If there isn't a better example of how the media is just destroying lives, the Sandusky-Paterno issue has to be it. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Spotify. You can also get the channel in your Roku streaming store. Go to the Roku streaming store and search Adrian Slade. You can also financially support the show. Adrian Slade Show on anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade slash support. Call into the show, 1-929-GO-GO-USA. That's 1-929-GO-GO-USA. See you guys next time.